Good morning. Looking at common causes, they can make communion, community, and commission. Communion is reflected by sitting together, seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that's where it begins, understanding the things that are true of us because we're in Christ, the the things that he accomplished by dying and rising from the dead and how we are included with him, then that leads to community, which is walking together, walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called, and then standing together, commission. Um, Before you can stand, before we can stand together, we've got to walk together. Before we walk together, we've got to be able to be seated together. Um, Talking about community, Paul gives us two commands. Let the peace of Christ rule and let the word of Christ dwell. says, we looked at last week, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. It means let the peace of Christ act as an arbiter, a judge, or as an umpire. We see this verse, and the way it's usually applied is that when you're making a decision, then try to find a sense of peace inside. And if you have that peace, then you can know, okay, I have peace about it, so therefore I'm going to do it. Uh, I don't think that's what Paul has in mind in the context. The peace of Christ is more a corporate thing. It's not such a private matter, but it's something that allows us to relate to one another in a different way. The peace of Christ moves us towards compassion, kindness, and gentleness with one another because Jesus acted that way towards people, except those who misrepresented the Father. But by and large, Jesus moved towards people in that that way, and it moves us away from judgment and quarreling. Jesus' peace coaches us to accept unacceptable people. And after telling us that the peace of Christ rule, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let's get some insight into what early church gatherings were like. We flash the sign. They would have met in uh, perhaps courtyards or bigger rooms anywhere between. We don't know how many there were, but there could have been up to as many as 30 to 60 if the home was really big, maybe over 100 in smaller gatherings, uh, maybe less than, maybe 20 or so. Um, What we know, though, is that they didn't have a lot of Bibles to go around at that time copies of the scriptures, and they would only have had the Old Testament scriptures at the time, were very costly. They were preserved on scrolls, which you had to continue to to remake because they didn't last forever. So if there was a house church gathering, everybody didn't have a Bible. Every once in a while, so you could have access to some scrolls. They were in the synagogues most likely, and every once in a while, Paul or one of the apostles would send a letter, and they were read in public. It was an oral culture, and what an oral culture means that they didn't have a lot of pens and papers. What they learned, they had to learn by listening 
and talking. They developed an ability to think and memorize and listen carefully. They had to, again, because they didn't have the, the benefit that we have of books and writing and instruments like that. It was more difficult. So what they did when they met together, there would have been some who were gifted as teachers, and they would teach, they would publicly read scriptures and letters, but then those things were discussed, and they shared insights with one another. It says they taught and admonished. Admonished really means instructed, put it in somebody's mind. So what a church gathering would be, it would be sometimes people saying things, but it would be batted around and somebody would say, I have something I'd like to say and share. And, and so they taught and instructed one another. Uh, singing was not just inspirational, but instructional. One way that they put the word of Christ in their mind is by singing scripture hymns. So they would sing these songs as a group, knowing that that is another way to learn. You can learn by reading, but sometimes when you put something in the form of a song, you can remember song lyrics more easily than you can remember other things because it's processed in a different part of the brain. So when they sang together, it wasn't just about inspiration. You would take those words and you would think about it, and it was a way for the word of Christ to dwell in your mind because scriptural truth would be put in that form. They sang songs in, in order to keep truth in their thoughts. When you come to the Bible, Jesus indicated um, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What a disciple is as a learner. So to be Jesus' disciple is to learn from Jesus, how he sees the Father, what he thinks, how he views things. That's what it literally means to be a follower or a disciple of Christ. It means to be a learner. It To be a disciple then is to hold the truth in our minds and to count no time wasted in trying to understand and apply in your thoughts, what is this verse saying? What did Jesus mean? What is the point here? And it's not so much that you get all the right answers, but that is something that you practice because the, the practice of trying to understand is what is meant by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's kind of giving some space to it in your thoughts. Early in Colossians, Paul explained why it's so important to learn. Here's what he said. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what he's saying, Paul says he prayed, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that their thinking would be changed. And why is that so? He goes on, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, in order to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, fully pleasing, in order to bear fruit, in order to be strengthened with all power, in order to give thanks to the Father. These are all byproducts of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Our thinking about who God is and what God wants will change slowly over time as we make room in our thought for Jesus' words. And when that happens, what you're going to find is little by little, your attitudes and your actions will change. It starts at the level of thoughts. That's the real place where change occurs. Thoughts will change attitudes, and thoughts and attitudes will change actions. It just is the way it works, but it really starts with thoughts, and as our thinking changes, our attitudes change, and our actions change. I knew a guy once in ministry, he ended up saying, he said on different occasions, I don't need to know more of the Bible. I just need to do what I already know to do. And that is inaccurate. The Bible is not just telling us what to do. It does, but it tells us who God is and what to believe. And the deal is, as we understand more clearly who God is and is not, it does impact us and changes our ability to do the things he tells us to do. What stands in the way of believing? So we have access today. We... uh, we're in the position to be able to have lots of Bibles if we, and spiritual resources, we're at an advantage over the early church in that, in that matter. Um, communication is based on two things, transmission and receiving. And so, so if you're trying to get a signal, you're trying to watch TV, you're trying to listen to the radio, you need a couple of things. You need a transmitter. They've got to be transmitting a signal. And you've got to have a receiver, which receives the signal. And in the Bible, what we have evidence that there is and can be a breakdown in transmitters that gets in the way of letting the word of Christ dwell inside. It can be a transmitter problem. But what we're also going to see, it can be a receiver problem as well. Um, It says in Isaiah, and it talks about a time where there was a transmitter issue. Look what it says. It says, be stunned and amazed, blind yourselves, and be sightless. Be drunk, but not from wine. Stagger, but not from beer. The Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. There was a time in Israel when there were no transmitters. Those who were called and tasked to bring God's word to people were not functioning. They were blind guides, and you might see it. It was a revelatory blackout. What is God saying? And there was nobody to be able to kind of present that at the time. 
Um, those responsible for speaking on God's behalf were not doing so. Because this was true, people distanced their hearts from God. It's interesting that when we know about God and can see him and know him more clearly, one way you can know if that's happening, it little by little, when you know God for what he's actually like, the ability to not distance deep thoughts and feelings comes. You end up being able to be, I was going to sound, if you might say, I don't know if I believe this, but it's true. If you know God as he actually is, what you end up start doing over time is to be able to be more honest with him. It's to know God, he doesn't judge your thoughts and feelings. And what he would really have us do is not control our thoughts and feelings, but connect with them and communicate them with him. I think for us, we have thoughts and feelings that we really don't like to have. And that's all of us. And what we tend to do is want to control them and push them down. If you know God, and to the degree you know God, you end up not pushing them down as much. Because God doesn't ask us to push him down. What he asks us to do is be aware of them and speak freely with him about them. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to be aware of what we want, our requests, and to communicate them both to one another and to him. And as we hold on to our issues and hold on to him at the same time, day by day, this is what Christianity looks like. Jesus gives an image of God that allows us to breathe and to present deep things. God is not the way he seems to appear in the Old Testament. Again, there's a real difference between the Old and New Testament and the picture of God in each one. Well, which one's true? Is the Old Testament true or is the New Testament true? God seems to be different. Actually, God is not different. The covenant he operates by is very different. In the Old Testament, God functions according to the Old Covenant, which is, if you do the right things, you'll be blessed. If you don't do the right things, you'll be cursed. That is a frightening place, and if you don't believe or think the right thing, and you're under that type of understanding, it's hard to have thoughts and feelings that you believe that God is absolutely opposed to. On this side of the cross, we're not under the Old Covenant, we're under the New. And because God operates by the new covenant, what he says is, I'm going to put my laws in your hearts and write them on your minds. I'm going to be your God. And I will, we talk about the word, be helios, which is gracious, benevolent, cheerful to your unrighteousnesses. And remember your sins no more. So on this side of the cross, it encourages us to be able to be honest with him. Even about objectionable thoughts and feelings, that's what he wants us to do with them. He wants us to learn to touch them and to talk to him about them. And on this side of the cross, that's possible. Um, Paul is thinking about this verse from Isaiah when he says this in Ephesians. Um, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being drunk on wine, I don't think what Paul is referring to is getting physically loaded. It's what Isaiah talked about, that those tasked with being spiritual seers, they were as effective as people who were drunk. You think of somebody drunk standing up front, well, let me talk on behalf of God. You know, you're probably not going to get a really great message. And that's the image that when there's individuals who are tasked to represent God and they can't do so, they can't see, it's kind of like then the people, it's like we all come out of there just swaying spiritually. And when Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, whereas it's in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, what he's saying if you're going to go to a place where you're going to try to know what God thinks and says, and again, this is tricky, go to a place where there does seem to be the presence of the truth of the scriptures. And again, people have different ideas of what is true, but if you get to a place where there seems to be, in your opinion, they talk about what God would have us to talk about. And now we're back to the question. A lot of churches claim to be the truth. How can you know if it's the true one? A couple things, covenant clarity. I think if it's going to be a church that is going to talk about Jesus and his word, it's going to have to talk about the new covenant. Would you agree with me? Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so if it's a church that tells the truth, you should hear things that are in line with new covenant teaching, because that's what Jesus came to inaugurate. There should be a sense of gentleness, because Jesus was gentle. If it's a place that tells the truth, you should not leave more burdened than when you came in. It's an indication of whether the truth is being told or not. Jesus said, I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, which is a verse that we'll look at over the Christmas season. Um, what he's saying, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you come to a place where the truth is, you should be able to come out feeling not yippy-skippy, but you shouldn't feel more burdened than when you came in, because the truth is that Jesus takes the load, not you. And if a place is not the truth, you'll come out feeling a little bit weighed down, a little heavy, and over time, that's, that's one of the indicators. Um, we, this verse, when it says, um, be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, uh, it's an encouragement to remain in places where Spirit truth is preserved, new covenant, gentleness. It's not a private command, but a public one. In an oral culture, you didn't have books. And so in order to go to a place to be able to hear what God says, you had to go to a meeting. And at the meeting, people would read, and they would talk to one another. We're in a place where that's not as necessary in our day. And we could talk about whether it's an advantage or a disadvantage. We have all, we have plenty of Bibles. And you if you don't need to go to someplace on Sunday morning, you can listen. Or, thankfully, it's been great during COVID, you can, you can attend virtually. And all this is, is helpful. Um, it's interesting that 
and I'll, I'm just going to bring it up. Church attendance, I just saw an article, is down about 30 to 50% from before COVID to now. And for a number of different reasons, uh, I think there still is, and I don't claim to know everything, it, but it's not just, there is the threat of COVID transmission, and that's the reason why people don't go. It's, but it's also, it's more than that. There's the comforts of home. No, it's more comfortable. And there are new habits that have been developed over a year and a half. Anybody have a hard time kind of, we could talk about it, kind of getting back into the swing of coming back to church. It's not easy. Other habits are formed. Um, there's the advantage of watching online. Um, it does beg the, beg the question, and we're not going to answer it. Is it possible to sit together, walk together, and stand together virtually? Good question, isn't it? I'm really glad there has been virtual, and some are attending right now. I, I'm not going to come with a hard and fast answer. Um, it's a challenging question because we certainly have greater access to spiritual resources in the 21st century. In the first century, though, it would have been pretty black and white. Um, if you weren't in a position to be able to attend the place or go to the place where the truth was heard, you weren't going to be able to get it. There is one caution Jesus surfaced with respect to uh, having holding God's truth in our minds. This is what he said. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. This word choke, it's not this. It's not that the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches oppose the word. The image of being choked, it's an image. Jesus was in a house and he was doing all kinds of miracles. When he left the house, people just crowded so he couldn't move. That's the image of choke. It's crowded or throttled so that there's no room. Here's what it says. With respect to the word having a place in our thoughts, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches, it's not that it opposes the word, but it kind of strangles it. It makes it so that there are so many preoccupations and thoughts that God's word doesn't have much space. And that's what Jesus indicated. That's a problem that we will deal with. Um, when I go home, uh, there's a couple of tasks that I do and help my dad out. And sometimes I go back in there and paint. But there's another thing that I do. I wage war with the bittersweet. There are these, and I think it's bittersweet, but there is, maybe it's a, it's a more virulent form of this thing. We kind of live in a place in, in, um, in Saugus, which is a, a town about 12 miles north of Boston. And we live on a place where there's woods between the house and the road, and then woods in back. It's kind of a woodsy area. And for some reason, I don't know why it exists, but there are these strangling vines that that they climb up trees and they wrap themselves. And for some reason, they inundate our property. So when I go back, I, I take it to be my task and to get these things. Hey, anybody ever deal with bittersweet? You know, the, the things that wrap themselves around the branches and they actually strangle out the trees. You have, anybody aware of what I'm talking about? 
they wrap around and they, and they, you have to pull them. And so it always happens that I'm pulling these things and naturally they snap and I end up going backwards. <laughs> but it's, uh, but that is, that's the image that the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, it wraps, they wrap themselves around our thoughts so it doesn't leave any room. And these things actually kill trees because they just strangle them to death. That's the, the thing Jesus is talking about. There are transmitter issues, which are, in Israel, there were problems with people who were, were supposed to present the word. There are also, and we'll look at this quickly, there were receiver issues as well. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Talking about receivers, and here's what it's saying. Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, mm, the time's going to come where people aren't going to have the patience to keep it tuned to one channel. They're going to want to be able to flip from channel to channel. How many of you are channel flippers? Do we have any channel flippers here? Uh, we have a number of channel flippers. Now here's, a, here's even a more difficult question. How many of you can remember the time? I'm really dating myself now. How many of you can remember the time where you got, you got like three stations? And so back then, channel flipping wasn't as much the deal because you just didn't have as much many channels, and we could talk about whether that was a positive or a negative thing. Um, what Paul's talking about, the time would come when people aren't going to be able to just listen to one signal. They're going to flip between teacher to teacher to teacher to teacher to teacher. And he said to T, what he's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, you better keep telling the truth because the time's going to come when people are not going to stand still to listen to one person. They're going to need to be changing from teacher to teacher to teacher. And what he says then is, and even if the truth is out there at that point and the transmitters are in place, people's ability to receive a message, it's going to be compromised. They're going to need to flip it out and flip from here to here. And that's going to be a problem. How can we let the word of Christ dwell richly? Um, if you find a place where you think the truth is being proclaimed, what Paul would say, keep coming back. And don't just keep coming back. Let's develop an ability to teach and encourage one another, to be able to share with each other what we're learning. I'm going to close the service now, and we're going to do the last. We've just been doing a little bit of an experiment, and we're going to go back into the, the back room, and we're going to circle up the way they would have done in the early church, and I'm going to give you some instruction. Let's spend about five, seven minutes, but let me, let's stand for closing prayer. Father, I'd ask that you would continue to um, help us to do what Paul says, which is let the peace of Christ rule and let the word of Christ dwell richly. This is about how we walk together. Thank you that we do have um, Bibles and you have helped us to be at a place in our life that we are invested in learning about what they say because people wouldn't be 
tuning in or here if that wasn't the case. I pray that you'd allow us to continue to allow, I, I pray that you'd allow us to continue to learn about what it is you have to say to us so that by sitting together we could walk together and stand together. In Jesus' name, amen.